Well, we're wrapping up our summer series, Distorted Echoes, where yes. we've spent a, a number of weeks, almost all yeah. of our summer together, um, working through Tom Wright's Broken Signpost as kind of a jumping off point to talk yes. about a wide variety of topics. And it's been, um, it's been a great series because mm. the book itself carries a lot of content, but for even us as a community to be able to dive in within our Sunday teachings to spend some yes. time on this has been um, just really encouraging for me, even as one of the people that's got the privilege of teaching mm -hmm. along this. But maybe you want to unpack a little bit of what we've kind of been doing in this series mm -hmm. as some people might be picking this up, yeah. you know, partway through. Yeah, I, I think the intention of reading the book alongside teaching the series has been, well, probably to, to speak about how Jesus brings clarity to our lives, but, but to sort of move away from that, that the tendency we have to compartmentalize what we mean by that. Yeah. So here's my life, here's how I make sense of the life, and also then I happen to believe in Jesus, and that gives me, you know, joy and spiritual direction or, or whatever else. Whereas what we're leaning into, particularly, you know, motivated by reading John's Gospel, is that actually what if Jesus isn't just how we make sense of our spirituality, but what if Jesus is how we understand our whole lives? Right. And therefore, are there key areas of being human that we can fundamentally see differently if we use Jesus as our frame through which to see? Right, yeah, and that's the big thing that I've appreciated about the, the series in and of itself is saying, mm -hmm. we wanna take Jesus as a model yes. and say, we don't just want to think really well about the things that Jesus maybe thought about because at the end of the day, knowledge is only going to take you mm. so far and only yes. a part of the equation. What you think matters because it yes. does shape your life. But we, like you said, don't mm. want to stop at, we just think good things about Jesus, but actually say, if we're looking at Jesus's life as a model, what will it look like for us to then imitate Christ in the world mm -hmm. around us? Looking at, you know, various different topics, but yeah. working through them to say, what do we see in the life of Jesus? Yeah. And then how does that then relate to yes. how we walk things out in our day-to-day -day life? And it's interesting, isn't it, how often we talk about Jesus in, like you regularly hear Jesus talked about as Jesus is the answer. Yes. Right? And, that, and that becomes quite a big language, which, I think is ironic because Jesus often, what he actually says, Jesus says, I am the way. Yes. <laughs> so are we sometimes looking for the, the simple answer? Like what's the, you know, what to do with my nervousness about the future? What to do about my views on religion or faith? But when you start to engage with the gospels, what you see is yes, Jesus is the, you know, technically you might say Jesus is the means of salvation. Jesus is the hope by which we have hope. But then a lot of the Gospels are spent talking about, at some level, this question, how is Jesus the way? Right. And, and, and how do we shape and model? And that's why I love that language of modeling Jesus, of imitating Christ, because it, it draws us, and I'm curious your view on it, but it draws us away from simply Jesus as a solution to a particular problem, yeah. even though he may be the solution to that particular problem. Yeah. But leaning into the sense of Jesus as, as a way of being. Yeah, yeah, and I think that imitate, and you know, Paul talks, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ mm, in that mm. sense to say that this is the life example that we follow. And I resonate really deeply with this idea and pushing back against, you know, Jesus just as the 
answer in mm. some senses of that, where we spend our entire lives focusing on trying to have the right thinking and the right answer. Mm. And there's tons of stress and anxiety around mm. that. Um, yeah. Because I, I heard someone say, uh, and I can't even remember who it would, I, actually I do remember now, it's gonna be as silly as um, someone named Kanye West who actually, but he said something <laughs> profound and it was actually interesting mm. when he was interviewed recently. He said, think about the most stressful day of your life when you were growing up in school. Mm. And he said, it was always on test day. Mm -hmm. always on test day. And then he began to unpack that when we're just trying to always have the right answer and the right mm -hmm. thing and, well, actually, no wonder our lives get mm -hmm. so bundled up in this anxiety yes. and this stress of making sure that it's mm -hmm. all correct. Yes. Instead of actually looking at, well, what is Jesus' model and how do we mm -hmm. begin to you know, imitate that rather than just making yeah. sure we can answer things correctly and theologically. Does that make sense? Well, well, yeah, and, and also there's that sense, if I can spin off that, um, is that the other thing about test day is how often did you do, like I think of, like in, in theological world, <laughs> I think about math tests, right? And I remember thinking to myself one day after an advanced uh, quadratic equations test that I was doing, I remember thinking, when will I ever use this? Right. <laughs> and so, so this becomes an exam yeah. result that I sort of throw in a drawer somewhere and let every now and again somebody goes, hey, how did you do in math? And I go, oh, I did quite well in math, here you go. But I, I still am not even entirely sure when a situation would arise that I would go, oh, that's what quadratic equations are for, right? right. So I think when Jesus is the answer, if that's your exclusive metaphor for thinking about Jesus, yes. there's a similar test-like notion that have I answered the right you know, questions. So, you know, do you believe in Jesus as your savior? Do you believe in Jesus as God? Yes, yes, excellent. Okay, you've passed the test. And then the question is almost unspoken, but when are you gonna need that in real life? Right. So you push that over there, and then you make career choices, you make decisions for how you live, where you, where you live, the manner in which you live, how you vote, what you think about economics, how you think we solve the big problems of the world. Right. All the time while that test answer is just in a drawer somewhere, waiting until you, you know, meet a new pastor and you pull it back out. I mean, maybe I'm pushing it too no, far. No, I don't think you're pushing it too far at all. I actually think it, and then it builds on this idea that we've talked about at various mm -hmm. points and, and definitely surfaced within this series too, mm -hmm. is this, what creates then just this escapist mentality within mm. followers of Jesus. I've answered the right questions. Mm -hmm. I've passed the test. I now push it to the side because yeah. I don't have to think and worry about anything else that's going on around me. Yes. I've passed the test of salvation. Yes. So I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I now don't need to think about that. I go and live however I want. Yes. And then, you know, at some point when the world disappears, I'm going to be safe and float off into, you know, this heavenly yes. place, which we've yes. talked about in different spaces. But I think that's what I've loved about this series is mm. what we've tried to do is pull it back into mm. that to say, yes, there's correct thinking. We want to wrestle that out together mm. as a community, but it has to land practically. And yes. some of these topics are going to be, you know, as Tom would use the language of signposts towards mm. what Jesus is wanting yes. to do within the world and yes. how we make sense of some of these deep longings within mm. each of us. Because yes. that's really what, when you look at the topics that we've wrestled through mm. over you know, six weeks, I think is what it's been. Yeah. Um, these are deep longings that we find wired within each of mm. us mm -hmm. that we're then saying, and how do these get you know, answered in the person of Jesus? 
Yeah, and almost, you know, if I could push that test metaphor a little bit further, you know, for every hundred of us that take the test on quadratic equations, uh, you know, I, I was, the reason I was taking this advanced mathematics class is at the time, my late teens, I was thinking, I, I was on a journey towards going into software development and graphic designers within computing use quadratic equations sure. anymore. So there's a group of people who are going like, why are we even gonna learn this? But there's maybe one or two people in that group that are going, this is going to be fundamental to how I shape my life. Right. And I think that's the invitation of a series like this is to look at Jesus, not just then as the test that we pass, but to look at Jesus and say, actually, what if, even in the conversations that Jesus has, in the, in the moments we observe him in, he's showing us how we're going to live out our lives. So the, the person that wants to be a computer programmer doesn't actually think, I need to learn quadratic equations so that I can pass the test. They think, I need to learn this so that I can do what I want to do yes. in my life. And this is gonna shape and open up doors to me. And, and I like the idea of almost thinking about the way of Jesus that way, that if we really want to engage in the kingdom of God, to use that language in the rule of Jesus for yeah. a better term, or the, you know, the, 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 the politics of the gospel, there's that sense where don't think about some of these things as the test, but think about more as these are the things that are gonna help us in that sort of journey. Right, and I think you, and you pointed this out, and because you and I, you know, we have a lot of conversation mm. throughout the week and on various things, but you pointed mm. this out as, even as we were kind of having some conversation about mm. today, mm. around this idea of, you know, in John 3, where we've yes. spent a lot of, not, a, well, we've spent a lot of time in John, but John yeah. 3 has appeared, yeah. and John 3, 16 specifically yes. has appeared in various different topics along the way. Yes. Famous verse for people that have, you know, yeah. grown up in the church, and even if you haven't, you've probably seen the <laughs> yeah, reference yeah. somewhere. Um, but you pointed out, and I'll let you explain it because I think it builds on what mm. you're saying here. You pointed out that there's a word in there mm. that you know we often read, and it's one that we'd probably brush over. Yeah, that yeah. you wouldn't even look at, but you're saying yeah. actually there's how it's sometimes transla translated all begins to shift how we even yes. think about this verse in and of itself. Yes. Well, so you take John three sixteen, right, which is one of the few verses that you can kind of say. A lot of people know this verse. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? So I think because there's so much in this verse that it, it, the verse draws you towards the end, right? It, it pulls you into right. it. And it's actually the third word that I want to look at, a hugely theologically significant word. Yes. So <laughs> now the, the translation is fine, right? For God so loved the world. The, the question is, what do we think the word so means, right? Uh, now, invariably, I think when you talk to people about John 3.16, what they say is, for God so loved the world is, is a way of saying, this is how much God loved the world. Right. So it's a, the so is expressing volume, right? So how much did God love? Well, this is how much. His own son w was given as a sacrifice for us. Um, and that is absolutely valid as a way of reading the text. And I would say, probably what John wants you to take from it. Right. How much does God love the world? This is how much God loves the world, right? However, what John is constantly doing throughout the Gospels, throughout his Gospel, and you'll have heard us even talk about this throughout the series, what John is constantly doing is working on the sort of double meaning right. of words, right? So it's like, well, this could mean this, 
but it also means that. So like in the, the last session that I taught, it's like Jesus talks about being lifted up. And that can mean to be glorified, but it's also a way of talking about crucifixion. Which does John mean? Does it mean crucifixion or glorified? It means both. <laughs> right. So the word so, a, a way to almost help you kind of track with this is think about the word so if you were to translate it as thus, right? Uh, so, so how much, this is how much, thus is how much God right. loved the world. But thus also in English has the, the sense of the kind of manner, right? The way, right? So, so one way to look at it is this is how much God loved the world. Another way to validly read this text is this is the way or the manner in which God loved the world. Right. right. So thinking less about our kind of Western drawing attraction to volume and, and more the issue of style and, and intention and, and, and manner in that sense. Now, I think that becomes really fascinating, Tyson, in the conversation about the modeling Jesus, modeling God, the way of God, because now we come back to John 3.16 and it's no longer simply a text that gets us in, for want of a better term. Yeah. Like a lot of people that are new Christians know John 3.16. A lot of old Christians don't reflect on John 3.16 anymore because, well, I know that's true, so I'm okay. That's an entry level verse. But what if John's adding a double meaning to it, right? And saying right. in one sense, well, this is, how much does God love you? This is how much God loves you. But this is also the way in which God loves you by in the sending of Jesus. Therefore, the Jesus coming and the Jesus doing what he does is part of God showing us the way of him, his right. way of doing things. Right. So there's this question out there that asks us, how much are we willing in this gospel to learn of the way of Jesus as we're learning the manner of God, the way of God. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this, and I mean, that does radically change um, the reading of John Well, it adds more to it, doesn't it? It, it yeah, broadens it, the path. Yes, that's a, be, that's a better mm -hmm. way of, uh, of putting it than changing. It, it definitely broadens it. And I do think that we have focused a ton, and I think there's validity to it, mm -hmm. on the volume mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of how much, you know, God's love is there, and love was yeah. a, one of the topics even that we, we covered, and yeah. there is a vastness to that. But I like, as a starting point, mm -hmm. even to th as you think about all of these, and we'll mm -hmm. recap what we've kind yeah. of been through, um, that it's the way that Jesus, all of these topics mm -hmm. are the way that Jesus is showing the love to the world, because yeah. that's what we're doing as we work through John's yes. gospel is we're seeing all of these things play out and how they impact the culture in his time and then yes. also the culture for us as well. There's a, um, there's a Eugene Peterson, uh, I think it's a subtitle of one of his books, where he talks about some of the ways in which Jesus is the way. Right. right? Um, and I love that phrase. I think yeah. it was Bob Osborne that first introduced me to the phrase and I'm like, it's stuck in my head ever, right. ever since. There's some of the ways in which Jesus is the way. And almost, that would be an interesting subtext, except that we'd be stealing it from Eugene to do that. But that's almost what we're trying to do in this series, is that we know that Jesus is the way of salvation. Yes. But here are other ways in which Jesus is showing us the way. Right? Yeah. Ways of justice, ways of love, ways of spirituality, ways of freedom, truth, power. They're all being reframed because this is how God loves the world. Yeah, and I love and I love that, you know, it's some of the ways. It's not exhaustive. No, and no, no, this exactly. series is not exhaustive. 100%. There there is so much more to I yeah. mean, even if you look at we we spent time in what, mm. you know, four different 
chapters, five different chapters just in John. There's mm. way more yes. than that to unpack exactly. that we didn't even exactly. get time to. But maybe let's start there and mm -hmm. some of the recap and because uh, yes. you kicked off this series, you know, with this justice yes. piece, yes. really timely. Um, maybe unpack just mm. a little bit of and, and, what and was it's going important on there. That you know, as we kind of just recap a little bit where we've been on the series, it is important to just affirm that, that it is some of the ways. And of course, because it's some of the ways, there's almost an invitation from John in his gospel to say, anything you see Jesus doing, ask yourself the question, is this how I should do that? <laughs> right? Which is kind of neat. So, yeah. so you could do a whole different series on, on you know, how Jesus behaves around people that have betrayed him. <laughs> you totally. know what I mean? Is that, well, is that, is, is that a way that Christians should go? Probably. You know, Jesus yeah. is in the garden. Peter cuts off one of Jesus' attackers' ears. Jesus heals the man and says, that's not how we do things. Is this the way in which we might deal with people who attack us? It gets kind of uncomfortable. But that's why I like this phrase, some of the yes. ways, because there's, there's, there's an underlying or, or um, umbrella consciousness within the series that it's okay to take the way of Jesus and apply it to your own life. That's probably even the invitation. Um, and just, but, but to be careful, and this is really what I think we're saying or trying to say in this series, but to be careful of importing our understanding of that thing onto Jesus. Right? Yes. So, and so like in the first uh, session we did, I talked about justice. And I think justice is a classic example of that, that we, I've not met many humans that don't want justice. Right. right. But what do we mean by justice? And, and if we mean, well, me getting what's right for me, then that's a little problematic. Right. right? If we mean that I, like a lot of time when we talk about justice, it's stuff that affects us directly. Right. Uh, and sometimes it could be a little bit more you know, broad than that, but often it's something that's come across our radar and, and that we feel like we can do something about. Uh, I think the challenge that, that we saw in that um, sermon was that while we yearn for justice, if our understanding of justice is wrong, then what we end up with isn't justice, but is often more injustice. Uh, and I feel like being cognizant of that as followers of Jesus, that if we, if we take our view of Jesus and just try and, our view of justice and just try and Christianize it, we end up in bad space. But, right. but what is the model of Jesus that we get? And, and I think for me, it's that a lot of our justice is retributive. It's like, how do we, how do we fix what we perceive to be broken? Yeah. Whereas Jesus's approach to justice seems to be distributive. It, so you can have retributive justice. There's a lot of that in the world. We can do things legally right, but it still end up kind of unfair. Whereas Jesus and, and scripture seems to push towards a form of justice which is equality. Uh, I love the Bible Project's language on that, which is that, that we treat other people's problems as if there are problems. Right. And that changes how we perceive the question of justice. Yeah, and I mean, it even, and, and this is what I've even loved even when we come around and talk about communion mm. and those types of, mm. you know, moments as a church community of yes. saying, actually, it doesn't matter of race, wealth, yeah, yeah. status, and job title, anything yeah. like that there is an open invitation to yes. all around the table yeah. and that's the and we've talked about it in other spaces of a you know of a gospel of a of abundance yes. in that sense yes. of, uh, of really this distributive yeah. piece is a, is a yes. do you have a do you have a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of abundance yes. and distributing 
yes. and, and flattening of, you know, unhealthy. Yeah. And communion in the early church is definitely one of the things <laughs> that the communion teaches us is a reminder of distributive justice. Yes. That, that things need to be shared in, in different ways. You know, so retributive justice, everybody comes to the table to eat equally. Paul in the, in the Corinthian document says, actually, some of you are eating too much and don't even yes. need to eat because you're already not, you don't need to eat because you already had your food. So distributive justice says these people need to be as full as you, which is really interesting. So, so following on from that, then that kind of justice piece sets the grounds then for a conversation about love, which yes. you picked up then in the following session. Yeah. And love was one of those things that I think has to, will shape justice. Mm in how we think about it if we're going to yes. take that language you know that the bible project has used to say we're going to make other people's problems our yes. problems we have to have a proper understanding of love and mm -hmm. there was a few different ways that we kind of approach this and mm -hmm. you know one was briefly looking at some healing miracles to say mm -hmm. actually it has to be shaped by love again that comes out of a justice piece and yes. a distributive piece because yes. there has to be a genuine love that's there or it creates all sorts of complexities around who Jesus even is as a human at that point in time. But I really tried to focus us in on this idea of we live in a world of contracts and terms and conditions and, and negotiations in a lot of sense to say, what's in it for me? What are you offering? Mm -hmm. And we make judgment yeah. calls based on those things. Yeah. How we spend our time, who we show care for, those types of things. Yeah. We often are weighing some of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what I tried to do is pull us back out of this, and, and I focus. And it looks at the pro, mm. the story of the prodigal son, the return mm. of you know this son who is lost, yeah. who is who is now found, and looking at the narratives and the stories. And again, mm. as you're saying, projecting different things in is what happens within that story in and of themselves. Yeah. One son thinks he's not worthy yeah. because of what he's done another son thinks he's too worthy because of what he's done right and they yeah. have these narratives of how the father's love and care and those mm. types of things work mm. and so i really was wanting us to wrestle with this idea that god's love just is he just mm. he is love it's not a characteristic yeah. mm. it is a part of who he is at you know at the deepest core yes. in that sense yeah. and it's not something we earn it's not something we sh you know we can actually work towards mm -hmm. to get more of or get less of it's something we either choose to receive or choose to not receive yes. in yeah, in yeah. that sense but it's yeah. it's not based on on what we can do again coming back to the test you know mm -hmm. analogy um, to, to bring that back out of the drawer again, um, is to, right to say, mm. well, we think if we can get this right, then we'll get more love, less yeah, yeah. love. Yeah. Um, and when we look into the Gospels of how Jesus was even, you know, interacting with people, mm. um, there was tons of creativity. And I think that's what I love about Christ's love. <laughs> I was trying to think if there's a better way to say that, but there's not. But that's what I love about Christ, the way that mm. Jesus was loving people within the world. Mm, mm. It was creative. Yes. It was, um, you know, restorative. It was, it broke down barriers, mm, right? Mm. And then you watch the earliest followers of Jesus, his disciples in the early church, figure out some yeah. of this creativity in and of themselves. We're in yeah. Acts, right? You see that they're meeting together and no one has a need. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and again, we come back to justice and a lot of these mm -hmm. do kind of fit in interlock together yeah. in that sense. Yeah. But there's this deep care, this deep love without condition that just says you are valued, you're yeah. valuable, 
because of just being created yeah. in God's image. Well, and it even shows, like I love that example of the, the, the disciples, the early Christians were able to join the dots of what we're talking about in this series. They, yes. didn't, they didn't say, well, Jesus has died for our sins, therefore we'll all be happy in the future and go to heaven, now let's get back to life. That somehow between the end of Jesus' death and resurrection and like 40 to 50 days later, there's no poor, you know, the yes. first problem that they have in church is how do we efficiently ensure that all the widows are taken care of? Totally. And sometimes we read the text and well, why did they start? Why was that the first thing? Like their first problem wasn't not enough people are coming to Bible study, uh, you, you know, yes. or whatever. Their first problem was rooted in living out the love of Jesus. Yes. Which tells us that they were, they were grasping that what Jesus came to show us was the way. Yes. Yes. So, and, and so that was love. And then again, as these all interlock, mm starts to shape some of our spirituality, how we think yes. about that, which was, you know, week three. Yeah, and I mean, spirituality is, is kind of, was almost a, a good reminder point of, of the conversation so far, that really what I wanted to push in the conversation about spirituality was that there's a tendency to think of spirituality as something abstract and disconnected. You know, there's your life, here's your spiritual life. And, and really to see how often what, what seems to happen in the way of Jesus is that spirituality isn't something compartmentalized over to the side of your life, but is actually something that's pervasive through our whole lives. Um, and, and so the main thing for me is to just almost get away from this idea of, of, of secular and sacred, right? That, that here's where I go and do sacred things and here's where yeah. I do spiritual things. Because again, if you live in that paradigm, it becomes easier to box up the love of Jesus, box up your concern for justice, push it over into church life, and then go and live the rest of your life elsewhere. And, and even, you know, as two pastors, people will perceive pastors as spiritual jobs. These are ministry jobs. These yeah. are jobs that are living out the calling of God. Whereas I, I think what you see in John's gospel is a pervasive view of spirituality, that, that your job as a bank manager is as spiritual as my job as a pastor. Yeah. Uh, and, and both of these jobs are asking the question, what does it look like to follow the way of Jesus? In yeah, our, uh, a friend of ours, well, we've had one conversation with him, but we'll call him a friend, but someone who we respect even in thinking, mm. you know, I saw Rich Viotis um, post on his Instagram mm. this, uh, I think it was a day mm. or two ago, something along there talking about this full-time, this calling into full-time mm. ministry mm. that people were suggesting and saying they think that that's leaving something in the secular world and going to work within yeah. a church in that sense. And in, in his kind of, you know, post that he was sharing, he's saying, actually, there is a call for all of us to be in full-time ministry. Yes, um, totally. Because it is exactly that. It's shaping yeah. the places that we find ourselves in with yeah. the way of Jesus and how that plays out. Yeah. No, and that's a great way to, to phrase that. Um, so we move then from spirituality. Um, I'm going to give the, I'm going to throw both these to you because we had the conversation about, you, you then talked about freedom and then about truth. Yes. And I remember you talking about how, 
Man, this feels like one big sermon that I'm having to split into two separate sermons. So I'm going to throw both of them to you together and say, yeah, what and were I, we trying to do there? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Because <laughs> I, I wrestled with even what order they come in and how do you do this? Because they both were kind of shaped within John 8 in this yes. narrative of, you know, Jesus saying, if you stay to my teachings, you'll be my disciples. Yes. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So they're very much intertwined yeah. so we started with freedom to talk about really just the freedom that's found within christ and yeah. christ only in that sense mm -hmm. and we we really wrestled through the idea of a difference between um really what's a biblical definition of freedom mm -hmm. sometimes we think freedom is about the safety nets kind of around mm -hmm. us and what mm -hmm. stays out and that provides us the yes. freedom we're freed you know from some things mm -hmm. um which you, you can find in a definition of freedom lightly, mm -hmm. but really I wanted to focus in on the aspect of the set free for something. Yes. So the difference so between the two, freedom. yeah. Like abso there's absolutely freedom from sin and, you know, and mm. the law and some of the, you know, the stuff that was temporary in mm -hmm. that sense mm -hmm. and the stuff that was affecting people. But it wasn't just that for what Jesus mm. was doing when he was talking about freedom. It yeah. was this empowerment to be, um, to serve. It was a mm. freedom, right, uh, of empowerment to go yes. and to be different and to look different and to act different mm. within mm. the world uh, yeah. around you. And you see this in the life of Jesus as he washes his disciples' feet. Yeah. And, right, like, and, and this is how he's expressing. Yeah. I mean, he was the most free human to ever live. Yeah. If we're going to, you know, yes. if we're, if we're going to trust that what is said about Jesus is true, which we do. He was the most free human to yeah. ever live. This is what freedom looked like in Jesus's life. But ends up on the cross. And ends up on the cross yeah. for the sake of others. Yeah. And that is Which freedom. circles back to that John 3.16 thing, doesn't 100%. it? 100%. Because bear in mind, John is absolutely unequivocally clear. Jesus is God as well. Yes. So, so this is the manner in which God loves the world. Yes. You know? It's yes. through a freedom that's sacrificial. It's really powerful. Yeah, yeah. And so the, um, then we had to build kind of into the truth piece because they're linked together in that sense. So uh, trying to wrestle through this idea, mm -hmm. and again, without opening a massive can of worms of, is there an absolute truth? What does that look like? How do we navigate mm -hmm. that in a world that says, we're all on our pursuit of our own personal truth? Um, and you can kind of mm -hmm. figure that, like, where do we, how do we navigate that? That was an mm -hmm. aspect of the conversation that I think yeah. We, we need to have, if we're going to talk about this, because Jesus goes on to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Mm. Um, and that no one comes to the Father through him. Pretty absolute claims when you look at them. Yeah. You know, some people would call them arrogant. Some would call mm. them naive to believe that. Wanted to wrestle mm. through that, um, which we did, and people can listen to that mm. kind of unpacking. But what I really loved was in John 1, Mm -hmm. is when he's laying out the narrative of Jesus coming and the word becoming flesh and he came with truth and grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John is attaching two words again here together. So you've got truth mm -hmm. and freedom and then there's truth and grace that come together in this sense. Mm -hmm. And what I love about um, what we see in the life of Jesus is that there's a common mantra within culture that says, well, the truth hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you attach truth and grace together, I'm not sure that mantra works when you look at the mm -hmm. life of Jesus mm -hmm. in that sense. Because I, grace is going to give what's you know, kind of undeserved and heal and restore. And so truth needs mm. to be these things mm -hmm. within, right? And again, yeah. it's what we see in the life of Jesus. He talks to the woman at the well. She tells yeah. a half-truth. He goes, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I know your full truth and it doesn't actually, yeah. you know, exempt you from being able to participate in worship and some of these other things yeah. to say that truth is going to heal and going to restore. Why? Because it's always mm. attached to grace that we find within Jesus. And you see that all throughout his mm. life. And, you know, again, what we've, I think we've done in all of our series too, is to say, as we experience these things, we then become truth tellers in our, yes. in our world, people yes. of freedom in our world, people of love, people of justice, people as we experience them in our own yeah. lives and kind of wrestle through that. So that was that. And then this past weekend, yeah, I believe if I've got my dates correct, they're all blurring <laughs> together a little bit. You talked about power. And, and the truth and power connection is quite interesting as well, even, because like, I think about that scene in John 19 when Jesus is having this conversation with Pilate. Yes. And, and Pilate's going, well, so are you a king or are you not a king? And, yeah. and Jesus is like, well, I'm a king, but not like you would understand. <laughs> yes. It's one of my favorite conversations in the whole Bible. And, and Pilate's trying to figure this out. And John, again, it's one of my favorite conversations because the conversation itself is fascinating. But then John's telling of the conversation because it works its way along. And then Jesus starts to talk about truth. And Pilate asks the question, well, what is truth? And that's the end of the conversation. Yes, that's where it ends. And, yeah. it, and, it, and to me, it speaks to the whole challenge of truth and power. Because for John's reader, the answer is, well, Jesus is the truth. So Pilate, there's irony to, G, to Pilate staring directly at Jesus going, but what even is truth? And Pilate knows what truth is because yes. he was in a position of power that could exactly. define truth. But his understanding of truth yes. is missing the fact that truth is standing right in front of him. And yes. I think that's almost the journey of this whole thing uh, as a series, is that sometimes the way of Jesus isn't going to look the way that you've been taught to see it. So, the, you know, the, where is the power of Jesus? The power of Jesus is on the cross. But the cross was designed by the Romans to be a place that looks completely powerless. Yeah. And that's where we see Jesus in his power. The, the John refers to the cross as the moment of Jesus' glorification, uh, and yet it looks like a moment of shame. And so for me, that moment in John 13, which we talked about a couple of points in this series, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and the fact that this is the only spot in the whole gospel where Jesus calls himself Lord, yeah. you see at some level, what we, you know, some of the ways in which Jesus is the way is to invert our understandings of how the world works. Yes. Uh, and now somebody can go back and dig into that series in their own time, you know, and look at all the different sections. But notice that that's sort of what's happening throughout the series is that Jesus is turning our understanding around because distorted echoes, right? Our understanding of power is more built into notions of brokenness and, and often power is quite abusive yeah. rather than the way of Jesus where he uses his power to serve and to save. Uh, and so that for us is a way. Unsurprisingly, because think right back to the introduction of the series, John 1 verse 8, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So the series is, is, is looking at the paradoxes of our lives, isn't it? Yes. It's looking at them and saying, well, you think this, but a new light has shone on this. And are you prepared to reevaluate your understanding of truth or freedom or sure. know, spirituality in light of Jesus? Well, and let's just keep in front of all, like us as a church community, mm. our logo in that sense mm. too, which is this paradox. You know, yes. people look at an upside down crown. Yeah. Some people aren't sure what to make of it at first yes, glance. Totally. But this is the paradox that we're trying to make in our statement of yeah. even just the logo that we have for a mm. church, this upside down 
crown, mm -hmm. this upside down kingdom, this, yes. it looks upside down to us yes. in that sense, right? Of 100%. it was, a, it, but it's a flipping. And that's reminding us that we're going to naturally try and define things our way yes. by inverting that crown to look right to us. Yes. And the way of Jesus is to keep reminding ourselves to think differently about it. Yeah. Right? right at the end of John's gospel, John chapter 20, verse 31, John says, I've written these things that you might believe and have life. Um, and again, we can spiritualize that and push it off into the future. Whereas for me, what John is doing in that context is, you know, is you know, belief and trust are very similar notions. So what is he inviting us to? He says, listen, all this stuff about Jesus, all this stuff about the way of Jesus, why have I written this gospel? Because I want you to trust this way and know that this is the right way of life. Uh, you know, there's this sense of he's drawing us into, into something quite, quite exceptional, really, on that level. Right. And, and therefore, I mean, where do, we, where do you land something like this, Tyson? <laughs> I want to leave John's gospel for a very brief moment and find ourselves in, in Galatians. <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and, um, and I'm thinking about something that Paul says in Galatians. In, in Galatians 4 and 19, he's talking directly to them. And he just talks about this hope that he has, that Christ is formed in them. Hmm. Right? Um, and I love that notion because I think Paul is summarizing really what John's doing in his gospel as well, is that we become Christ-shaped. That, that by making... Um, well, you could put it like some by by becoming Christocentric, by becoming becoming Christ-centered. You know, we become become Christ-formed. Right. That, that 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 it's way beyond simply Paul writing to the Galatians or John writing to to Christians and saying, "I just hope you think all the right things." Yeah. He's saying, actually, I hope you're shaped the right ways, uh, and that's much broader than that. Um, so for me, like I'm, I've been, I've mentioned it so many times over the last four years, but Jamie Smith's book, You Are What You Love, yeah. for me is so profound on all of this because he invites us to engage in habits of formation. So think about how we piece that together. John's saying, perhaps your view on justice is going to be wonky unless you shape it through Jesus. So the question for you and me then as Jesus followers is what are the habits that I can engage with in my life to help form me to understand justice and live justice better, to understand love and live love better. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. And I think just an important, not to drag it back into John and some of what we covered, oh, but, but, do. <laughs> but, even, but even when we wrestled through the idea of truth, mm. we, we talked a bit about what we're defending in some senses mm -hmm. and what's happening within John 8 is they're defending tradition. They're yeah. defending, they're angry because they're saying that we belong to Abraham. Yes. Yes. And he's going, no, you don't. Because yeah. um, if you did, you would, your lives would look very different than what they do right now. And, mm. and I think that's an important part to remember as we, mm. as we look at you know, the, James Smith's mm. book in this mm. sense and talk about how do we shape Jesus in that. It is to say, yeah. when we get kind of poked and it mm. feels uncomfortable, when we look at the life of Jesus and how we think about justice, we've got to ask the question if we're going to try to push something to, to the side to say, well, what am I defending in this moment? Am yes. I defending Christendom yeah. and tradition or am I defending the way that Jesus wants me to actually yeah. act within the world? And I, if I can be honest, personally, that's been some of the most uncomfortable work in my own life at mm -hmm. various points is to say, 
ooh, I might need to think differently about this yes. than what I've yeah. been raised in and I've yeah. grown up in the church. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I want to, I think yeah. that's an important point for us to remember as we look at this too, because it's easy to say, yeah, we've got our tradition, so I know how justice and all of this mm. works. And tradition's not bad, yeah. but it's not the final say. Jesus well, is the final say. Well, tradition could sense. be a distorted echo. A hundred percent. And that's probably a great place to sort of land the series actually is to is to remind us of that that if justice and love and spirituality and freedom and truth and power can all be distorted echoes some of the ways right there are going to be other places that you could get distorted echoes yes. and tradition you're, you're absolutely right church can become a distorted echo of the way of jesus yeah you know we've seen a lot of things over the last you know two years of churches behaving in ways that whether it's you know ways of behavior during the pandemic whether it's ways of behavior politically, that we would go, whoa, 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 that's a little bit wrong. So there's yeah. something almost yeah. subtly sitting beneath the whole series is this reminder that if it's not being viewed through the lens of Jesus, it can get off track, maybe only a little bit off track, but left to its own devices after a while, a little bit off track becomes like a lot off track, doesn't it? Yeah. I, um, I love this comment. Smith, in his You Are What You Love, he just says this, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his. To want what God wants, desire what God wants, sorry, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God, and to crave a world where he is all in all. A vision that's encapsulated by this shorthand, the kingdom of God. And at some level, I think that's what a series like this has been trying to do. Yeah. And so maybe that's where we land. And let me read it one more time, maybe mm. as a s sending point yes. for us even as a community. As our benediction. Because, because I, think, I think it's a <laughs> yeah. great statement that he, that he makes here. So may Jesus' command to follow him be a command for us to align our loves and longings with his, mm. to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God.